if you look at all the work we do as knowledge workers and you start piecing it off and say, okay, let's do these five things this year and these five things next year, we'll infuse AI into these aspects of what we do, not replacing the humans per se, but the efficiency with which the outputs are produced. I think a three to five X is absolutely within reason. And if you're in a business, and again, if you're a law firm, an accounting practice, a marketing agency, whatever it is, you should be thinking about a very real near-term future where you can three to five X productivity. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 22 of the Marketing AI Show. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, Mike Caput. What's up, Mike? How's it going? Good. We're back again. Three straight weeks. Kathy, you be proud of us. Shout <laughs> yeah, out to Kathy yeah. McPhillips, our chief growth <laughs> officer who helps us with the podcast. <laughs> Slash keeps us on schedule. Yes. So uh, Mike is our chief content officer at Market Institute, and Mike and I co-authored the book, Marketing Artificial Intelligence, AI Marketing in the Future of Business. Um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's get started. First, I want to give a shout out to rasa.io. Our sponsor of today's episode is the only AI-driven smart newsletter platform designed so organizations of any size can get more from their email list, more sales, more leads, and more engagement. Rasa.io knows that publishing a newsletter is time-consuming, but they've not only simplified the process, they've helped create automated, personalized, and more relevant newsletters. Be the compelling and trustworthy voice your customers need and keep them engaged with the content they want. In return, you'll receive richer insights and data that can be used for marketing, sales, and product development. Want to see how it works? Visit rasa.io, that's R-A-S-A dot I-O, and click how it works. All right, Mike, what do we got? What, is, what are our three big topics for the day? Our, our weekly format is Mike and I spend the week creating a sandbox of things to talk about. Mike picks the three things we're going to talk about. And we go back and forth and talk about them. And then we try and keep them extremely uh, newsworthy, hot topics that are going on that you should care about as a marketer and business leader. And so if this is your first time on our uh, AI Weekly Show, welcome. What do we got, Mike? What are today's topics? Well, thankfully for us, it seems like every 24 hours, there's some monumental development in the world of AI. So picking, <laughs> picking fresh topics is pretty easy. So <laughs> much so that this week I was like, we need to add a rapid fire at the end that we can just like hit on things that happen in like the 24 hours before we go. And if I'm not mistaken, when I glanced at the show notes, there was like eight rapid fire items. Yep. So yep. yes, things are <laughs> happening fast in the world of AI. <laughs> so first up is a really interesting development, very directly related to marketing, sales, and design. So this past week at the Adobe Max conference, one of Adobe's kind of annual conferences, Adobe announced that it plans to actually integrate AI image generation into its products. So those tools that we've talked about, like Dolly 2, technology very similar to that, they're going to be including in products like Creative Cloud, Photoshop, Adobe Express. Um, and what's really interesting is that Scott Belsky, who is their chief product officer for Creative Cloud specifically, 
wrote that not only will AI help Adobe customers create images, but that they, quote, believe the technology will help creatives working in all mediums, video, 3D design, texture creation, logo design, and more do their work better. And what's really interesting about the announcement is not just the generative AI piece, but also they're really emphasizing responsible use of the technology. So Adobe, which we've talked about in the past, has a stated AI ethics policy, and it's using that to make sure that image generation AI is up to ethical standards. And it also promotes something called its Content Authenticity Initiative Technology, or CAI technology, which helps creators actually show how AI was used to create a piece of content. So really interesting developments and really interesting big swings from Adobe in the world of generative AI. And I wanted to start off by asking Paul, kind of what are your thoughts on Adobe's moves here? I, I mean, I think it's fascinating what they're doing. It, it's it's essential for sure. So, I mean, one of the big challenges we've had with Dolly from you know April or so when it came out was you and I, I mean, we have friends that are graphic designers. My, I think I've told on the show before, my wife is an artist. My daughter is 10, wants to be an artist, like do illustrations, paintings, you know, they're creative for people. And I think there's been a lot of fear within the creative world, especially with designers and illustrators who see Dolly and generative AI as a threat. And these are probably a lot of the people who use Adobe products for doing their job. And so Adobe is in an interesting spot where they're kind of walking this fine line where they, they need to infuse this technology. Like they have no choice. It, it has to be a part of what they do. And Adobe is one of the more innovative AI companies in the marketing space. Uh, for years, they've they've been one of the ones we've looked to is said, well, this is what platform companies should be doing with AI. Adobe has hundreds of AI features within their platform. So I think it makes total sense that they have to make a play into this. You need generative image capabilities baked within Adobe products. It's it's essential. Like there's no, there's no alternative but to do that. And yes, it will make people like you and I have new capabilities with design. Like maybe we wouldn't have used Adobe products before, but if that stuff's infused in and all of a sudden we have ability to do things that previously we would have needed designers or illustrators to do, like logo design is a great one. I, I, we would have to hire people to do logo design. If the future or the current state of AI is that we can now design logos without needing a designer, great for us, not great for designers who we would have paid to do it. And so I think Adobe's, again, they're, they're in a difficult spot where they have to innovate. They want to innovate. They're an innovative company. But your core users, at least within Photoshop and Illustrator and some of the other products, are creative professionals who may feel threatened by this very innovation. So the innovation opens the door for other people to become creative in new ways, and it, it potentially uh, takes away from people who have spent their life being the creative person other people relied on. And I get that it's going to enhance like the designers and illustrators who you know embrace generative AI can do all kinds of new things and interesting things. And we've talked about that and written about it before. But there's also the reality that a lot of those people, their their value as a human comes from their creativity. Like it's what they are, what they do, who they are. And it, they're not going to just like kumbaya around a campfire like great welcome generative ai to our world like now you can anybody can do what i did for them um 
So I, I don't know. I think it's important that Adobe's taking a leadership role. I, I like that they're trying to find ways to support artists and creative professionals in the process through things like trying to identify if their work inspired the AI generate work. Like I have no idea how that's going to work. <laughs> I mean, I was reading the Shutterstock stuff, which we might get to in the rapid fire earlier today, um, where Shutterstock's images are used to train the AI and like mm. they're trying to create a, a, a creator fund to if your image was uploaded to Shutterstock and it was used to train the AI and then the AI created an image that was inspired by it, you're, you're going to get money somehow. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's almost like harking back to the like Napster days where all of a sudden <laughs> music was just free and everywhere. And we were trying to figure out how to help the musicians still make money in the process. I feel like we're in a similar state right now where you're just going to be able to create anything you want in any style inspired by any past artist and how you make money in that i don't know so i i just think it's a really great thing that they're doing it i don't know that they have the answers yet i don't know anybody really has the answers for this and i think it's just going to keep moving really really fast and it's really important as an industry that we're at least talking about it and trying to figure out what does this mean for people who are impacted by ai's newfound abilities to generate stuff so one thing you said really struck me because it's a question I actually wanted to ask you before you even said it is this sense that in some ways Adobe has to make this move to remain competitive. Once generative AI hits the scene, there's no world it seems where Adobe can't figure out the technology. They can't stick their head in the sand. So I am led to believe that other incumbents in other areas, other industries, whether it's with generative AI or other types of AI, are going to face the same thing. How quickly do incumbents need to move when AI invades their industry? I think it's going to be industry specific. So as we've talked about on the show before, if you're in a highly conservative, highly regulated industry like healthcare or financial services, you know... It's probably not going to move as fast. You have probably a lot more barriers uh, to this stuff. If you're in retail, you know, e-commerce, consumer goods, like there's far less restrictions on how you're going to use this stuff. And so I, I do think that there are going to be some people who are going to be left behind pretty quickly. Like, I, I mean, we think about marketing agencies and I know we'll you know, probably mm -hmm. touch on those throughout today. But you think about like the marketing agency world and you could get left behind in 24 months. Like mm -hmm. it could be game over in 24 months if you're not figuring out how to infuse generative AI into your copywriting and your image generation and your video production and editing. Like I just feel like that tech is going to move so fast in this space. And if you're if you provide services around this stuff or if you are on a corporate you know a brand team that's involved with content creation in any way yeah i, I gotta think like that we're probably looking at a i don't know two to three year window here where mm. you know if you haven't moved within the next one to two years it's gonna be really hard to catch up um that being said there's also gonna be an argument around the first movers may not be the winners here because I, I don't know if you and I were talking about this the other day, but uh, there was a tweet this morning from Sam Altman. So the mm. CEO of OpenAI, and I, let me pull it up real quick, because I thought it was, it was fascinating. Um, he said, challenge for companies based on large language models, which is what powers the language writing tools that they make, GPT-3, they make GPT-3. 
Uh, they can do a lot of technical work to get a current generation model to perform okay, and then have to get beat by a next gen model out of the box. Hmm. So what he's saying is like, if you could, if you, like, let's say you build your entire content team or your agency or whatever around GPT-3, what happens when GTP-4 comes out and maybe it dwarfs the abilities of GPT-3? Like now all of a sudden you have to like figure out what, okay, now it's able to do things like 10 times faster than it was doing before. It needs far less prompt engineering or it needs like, it just does the things that we just spent all this time <laughs> tuning it to do. It does out of the box. So if you come in a year from now, but you come in at GPT-4 instead of GPT-3, like, are you that much further behind? I don't know. It's all, all we know, and I am very confident that has never changed in the 10 plus years we've done this, you need to be paying attention and you need to be watching what's happening in these trends and the changes in the tech to figure out the play. And there's too many businesses and brands and agencies that are completely unaware that generative AI is even a thing. <laughs> and I think that's, to me, what we're trying to do is educate uh, a generation of, of leaders and marketers and practitioners that are aware and are proactively trying to understand and apply the knowledge. Because that's, that's what's going to make you unique. <laughs> that's a great point. And I think it's one of the reasons I actually teed up this next topic, which is on the surface going to seem very specific, but I think it's really important for the audience to understand how quickly things are moving. So, you know, back in by April or May of this year, we reported on Dolly 2 being released. Um, several months later, we reported on it becoming commercially available. And now Dolly 2 is being deployed in at least one specific case study and use case in product design. So VentureBeat uh, this past week, uh, illustrated an example, really concrete example of how Dolly 2 is being integrated into an existing product in the fashion industry to essentially augment product designers. So a startup called Kala, C-A-L-A, sells a digital platform that helps fashion professionals design clothing lines. So, you know, picking designs for any type of apparel you can think of, designing it, and then eventually selling that product. And they announced recently, as VentureBeat reported, that their customers can now use Dolly 2 within the platform to actually generate product designs and or uh, tweak existing design. So an example here would be like, you can go into this platform and say, I want to design um, a hoodie. And you can use Dolly 2 to actually type in things like, I want the hoodie to be made of dark and delicate velvet. I want some sewn logo patches on it. Show me some variations. And then Kala, this platform will actually generate six different example product designs and you can keep regenerating designs. You can take a design you like and tweak it further. I mean, we knew from the moment we tried out Dolly 2, stuff like this would become possible. It is stunning to me that we're uh, six months out from the thing even being released and suddenly startups and you know major companies and major job roles within marketing, sales, and product are starting to use this for these types of concrete product design use cases. So Paul, what was your, what were your thoughts on kind of this use case for the fashion industry and just in general in product design? I think that 
it, it is inevitable. I mean, it was inevitable, as you said, like we looked at it like, wow, this is going to affect everything. Uh, I remember shortly after I got access to Dolly too. So this is probably in like late May, early June. I had an architect friend over looking at doing an addition on my house and we were trying to visualize how, how, how it would look like it was a specific thing my wife wanted to put off the back of the house and it was com complexities around like the wires and the blend and all this stuff. And so here's this architect and I, who I would have to pay to sketch this up for me and think about all the challenges of it and basically come back to me with, here's what would be possible. And in the moment I'm thinking, I don't know that this guy's going to be needed in five years, like mm. maybe three years. Like if someone, cause again, I'd seen what Dolly two could do and it's very, very early versions. And I was immediately thinking, well, architecture isn't natural. I upload a picture of my house. So I would like to put an orangery off the back or whatever the thing was. And uh, I'd like it to be 20 feet by 40 feet. And I'd like the, the roof to be uh, like peaked this way. And um, I'd like 10 windows. No, no, no. Make the windows big. Like, in my mind, I'm prompt engineering the design I want, and, and I'm relying on this person to, to, to draw it for me and to sketch it. But if you trained Dolly or you used their API and it was capable of doing design of homes with all these specifications, and all I had to do was prompt it as changes, now show with more brick, add, add stone here, and, and it could just do it. Immediately, again, like a month or two into Dolly, you could see a day where th that would be absolutely done. Like, mm -hmm. All it takes is a training set. It takes tuning the model to be able to do architecture or shoe design or clothing design or whatever else you can imagine that you need to do. Landscaping, interior design, anything. And so I, I do think, and I, I believe our last topic will get into sort of this vertical idea Mm -hmm. I, I do think that the 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 near future of the application of these models is domain specific. It is the models right now are very general. So the ability for GPT three to create language, you go get Jasper, Copy.ai, or Writer, or any of these go, go Charlie, any of these writing tools. They're trained in a kind of a very general way. They're, they're based on the GPT three model that's that's general in nature. It's not domain specific and not trained on a, a core set of things that are specific to an industry or something. Uh, same with image technology. It's trained on just general data. But if you take it and tune it to a specific industry or use case like apparel design or product design, it would seem to me that the possibilities are almost infinite. And every one of those use cases does have a trickle-down effect on the people whose job, the knowledge workers whose job it is and whose careers have spent gaining the expertise to do their job. Uh, it's possible that a lot of the work they do in the future is actually training and tuning the models that intelligently automate what they used to do. I don't, I don't know. I mean, again, it's, it's the Shutterstock idea. Shutterstock was a stock photography company, and then they use their billions of images or however many images it is to, to train the Dolly 2 model. Like, so their images became the training data. And, and so I, I just think that this is where the real innovation is going to happen. It's where billion dollar companies are going to be built uh, is narrow applications of these generative models applied to whole kinds of industries and use cases. And it's really just as much as your imagination can go. It's take your domain knowledge and figure out how can I apply a generative model to what I do. 
and those are the people who are going to win. There's going to be there's going to be business people and creative people and leaders who refuse to accept that AI can do their job. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You have that choice, but I really just think that at the end of the day, it's AI is going to have these capabilities, whether you want it to or not. And we're going to have this next five to 10 year window where the people who embrace it and accept it and figure out what to do about it are going to build massive value. And the other people just gradually won't be able to create the same value that they create today without it. Yeah. And I think that that really segues fantastically into the way that the people funding these new companies, these new roles, and these new innovations are looking at this. So in the past week, Sequoia Capital, which is one of the best known venture capital firms on the planet, they've invested in everyone from Apple to Google, LinkedIn, PayPal, they're everywhere. They're Silicon Valley um, institution, essentially. They just wrote a post that basically signals that they're all in on generative AI and outlines really, really interesting considerations along the lines of what you just said related to how this technology can take over any and every domain you can think of. So the post that we're referring to is titled Generative AI, A Creative New World. And basically in it, Sequoia lays out their position on the entire space of generative AI and highlights some really interesting opportunities. Um, A couple things that really jumped out at me. Um, Sequoia said that generative AI means, quote, every industry that requires humans to create original work from social media to gaming, advertising to architecture, coding to graphic design, product design to law, marketing to sales is up for reinvention. And they go on to outline that they think generative AI is going to bring the marginal cost of creation and knowledge work down to zero. They think it's going to create vast labor productivity and economic value. And they're estimating if this all comes to pass, this mark, the market for generative AI solutions alone is potentially worth trillions. So that is a very strong statement from some of the smartest people in the game. What do you make of Sequoia's position on generative AI? The the part about the trillions, I'll just read the excerpt because I think it summarizes the basic thesis and kind of adds on to what you're saying. It says, the fields that generative AI addresses, knowledge work and creative work, comprise billions of workers. Generative AI can make these workers at least 10% more efficient and or creative. They become not only faster and more efficient, but more capable than before. Therefore, generative AI has the potential to generate trillions of dollars of economic value. So what I love is rather than spending 50 pages going through a bunch of data and predictions, it was just a very simple equation. Let's accept that there's billions of these people. Let's assume 10%, which is an insanely conservative assumption, because depending on the knowledge work, we're talking about uh, four to five times the output, not 10% increase. So again, very conservatively, they arrive at, well, the answer is trillions. Like, let's Mm. not mess around and just pretend like we know it's 800 billion or 4 trillion. It's just trillions. It's a lot. And to build on that, there was a study that I used in a recent talk from, which is a global asset management company. And they said by 2030, AI will increase the output of knowledge workers by 140%. 
So they looked at office admin support was actually a Forex output, paralegals, lawyers, bookkeepers, accountants, software developers. You could throw marketers in there, consultants, web developers, whatever. It, it, it The whole point is it's it is not just coming for knowledge workers. It's here and it's only going to get better. So today I could see like if you and I apply AI to what we do and say, okay, let's try and get a 10% lift in efficiency for the tasks we do daily. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is infinitely doable right now with today's technology. I think you need to be looking at it as a business and saying, okay, how do we get a 30 to 50% lift in efficiency over the next three years? Because I think that is infinitely doable. Like if you look at all the work we do as knowledge workers and you start piecing it off and say, okay, let's do these five things this year and these five things next year, we'll infuse AI into these aspects of what we do. Not replacing the humans per se, but the efficiency with which the outputs are produced. I think a three to five X is absolutely within reason. And if you're in a business, and again, if you're a law firm, an accounting practice, a marketing agency, whatever it is, you should be thinking about a very real near-term future where you can three to five X productivity. Um, I, I think that's very feasible. Yeah, that's really interesting. And they really dive into all of the phases of AI that have led us to the current moment. And I won't get into the details. I would highly recommend you read the article for yourself. It's, it's extremely... a long post, but it's really good. Yeah, it's packed for, for how much information and insight is in it. It's very information dense, which is great. And Basically, Sequoia posits that of all the waves of innovation that have led us here in AI, the phase we're at right now is where we develop the killer apps for generative AI. And I wanted to kind of get your take, you know, killer apps being kind of a reference to when the iPhone came out at first, it was, it was an incredible innovation, but the ecosystem around it took some time to adapt to just how game-changing it was. And eventually you develop these killer mobile apps that cause the ecosystem to just take off with rocket fuel and in terms of users usage and how many people are now enabled with mobile devices. So in that area of generative AI, specifically in marketing and sales, what do you see as potentially killer apps that would be game changers if they came into being? I mean, we look at language and vision and prediction. So when we think about AI and we teach like our intro to AI course and things like that, we always break things into language vision and prediction as the, the like kind of the broad applications of AI. And then underneath those, you have more specific applications. So under language, you have natural language processing, natural language generation, text to speech, speech to text, transcription, translation. I would just look at those categories and then I would apply them to my industry, my business model, whatever it may be. And so I, I agree 100%. I this goes back to our domain specific thing. It's going to be really hard. So if you're like Jasper just raised 125 million for, for generative AI, specifically within language. Now they're infusing image generation within the language model, but basically it's like a language model. Um, there, it's going to be hard to win the platform play to be a language platform. Like, you know, if you think about HubSpot, for example, as a CRM platform across marketing, sales, and service, it's lots and lots of apps built into one big platform. There, there's probably going to be a select few winners in the platform game for language platforms and, and vision or image platforms. 
But when you start getting to the specific applications, the ability to build those apps, that's the part where it gets almost limitless with what you can do. So like they, they give the example and there's a vertical specific writing assistance. So it says most writing assistants today are horizontal. That's what we were saying. Like GPT-3 is trained horizontally. It's just broadly trained on a bunch of general data. And then people like build some specific capabilities into like blog post writing, social media shares, newsletter writing, things like that. But the training in, in the model is basically horizontal. But they say, we believe there's an opportunity to build much better generative applications for specific end markets from legal contract writing to screenwriting. That's the app. That, that's the killer app model. That is the, we are in insurance. We are in media. We are in entertainment. This is the thing we do. How do we build a very specific solution on top of GP3 or Dolly or whatever the, the platform is, whatever the, the model is? How do we actually build something very specific that end users would find immense value in? And then how do we kind of plug that into the larger ecosystem? So yeah, I agree hundred percent. I think again, with marketing sales service, where we spend most of our time thinking about, you could come up with hundreds of things to build. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like, it, it it's just a resource question. And like, do you have the money and the people to do it? But the ideas are almost endless of what to build. And what's exciting is as we've seen from some of the funding announcements, despite some of the negative economic outlook moving forward, the money is out there. There's a lot of money flowing into the space and a lot of money sitting on the sidelines that is looking for ideas that you know bold entrepreneurs have, whether it's in marketing or sales or another domain to use this technology. Yeah. And the, I mean, the VC, so if you think about the traditional VC world, they're going to be wanting to make their big bets on who are going to be the big platform companies. But once they've made those bets, uh, you know, they're, they're going to need to make a bunch of point solution bets, you know, mm. which are the companies that maybe it's a hundred million dollar play, or maybe you can get to a billion, but I mean, you, you can build a lot of, you know, 100 to $500 million exit companies on very specific applications in vertical industries. I mean, there's just so much value to be created for people. So again, like just take take any industry and say, how do we make that industry more efficient? And then just go build apps to do it. Like that's, that's the model. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As we kind of wrap up here, I've got only this week, just a one shot rapid fire. I want to throw at you okay. that you alluded to. Um, Shutterstock. So we yeah. saw this morning that Shutterstock wants to will start selling AI-generated stock imagery with help from OpenAI, the creators of Dolly 2. So as part of this move, Dolly 2 is being directly integrated into Shutterstock's platform. Um, so you're going to be able to get AI-generated stock images. And what's really interesting is, like you said, uh, Shutterstock was actually used, at least in part, to train Dolly 2. They took the images from the platform to teach Dolly 2 all the different features and commonalities of images, thus making Dolly 2 possible. And Shutterstock has actually launched a contributor fund to pay creators whose content is sold to firms like OpenAI to train these models. So that's there's kind of two really interesting pieces to that. What do you, what are your, what's kind of your initial take on, we may, you know, dive into it deeper on another podcast, but I want to kind yeah. of get your initial read on Shutterstock leaning into this in this way. We we knew something was coming from Shutterstock. They bought like three AI companies last year, I believe, including you know, our friends at Pattern 89 was one of their acquisitions. 
And so you knew they were making a bigger play. You could you could theorize what it might be. Uh, so in some ways, I would say this is kind of an inevitable outcome. But much like Adobe, their entire business model was built on people, creative professionals who uh, take amazing photos and create amazing <laughs> images. And so they have to walk this fine line between respecting that core audience and trying to find a way for those people, those creative professionals to have some value created in return for what they did. Mm. But I, I mean, as an organization, it it's real hard not to look to the future. Like, I don't, I don't know how you differentiate, like, I mean, I could almost see a day and maybe this is what they're going to do. I don't know. Cause there's, there was a lot of like, in a few months, we're going to announce these things that didn't actually like tell you exactly how this was going to work. I could see a day where we actually go into like a shutter stock and say, I want to see human generated content and I want to see AI generated content, mm -hmm. um, human only, like couldn't have used, they, they weren't allowed to use AI. This is raw human creation based on experiences and knowledge and all these things. Like, so I want my raw human creation. Maybe there's a premium on raw human creation. I, I don't know. Mm. Like, I'm glad I'm not the one at Shutterstock and Adobe has to figure this out because it's a really hard problem. But, you know, I, I also think, and maybe this is a topic for another time, I got to wonder if at some point when the ability to generate AI images is so commoditized, like you can go on any platform and just create them. So if I'm in HubSpot, I can create a Dolly image. I'm in Shutterstock, I can create a Dolly image. I'm in, you know, Jasper, wherever I'm at, I can just, I can create AI images on the fly and they're amazing and everything. Like it's just on-demand stuff. Maybe language gets that way. I can create social shares and blog posts and ad got like just on the fly and it's just readily available. I, I wonder like, what does that future state look like where human created stuff is differentiated and maybe mm. more scarce? Because mm. I mean, how, how long until most of the images and the content you find on Google is actually generated by AIs? Right. And so does, does human generated creativity become a scarce resource and in, and in some way become more value? I don't know. Like I, I'm thinking out loud here, but yeah. uh, I, I think again, it's a fascinating topic. It's it's intriguing to me how Getty Images and Shutterstock and Unsplash and all of these companies are trying to figure this out in real time because I feel like everybody got caught flat-footed. No one that I'm aware of was ready for how quickly this generative AI stuff was going to take over. And there's a lot of companies that are having to try and figure this out really fast right now. Yeah, I think that that's a perfect kind of sentiment to end on is that's why we try to counsel people as much as possible to start playing around with and understanding artificial intelligence as best you can and at least get started because nobody can predict exactly how fast things are going to move and what the next big development will be. It's almost like you have to prepare far before the development even happens so that you're in a position to take advantage of stuff like this when it does take the world by storm. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff, man. I, I know we got other stuff that was sitting in the sandbox. We'll be back again next week. If you, <laughs> if you find this uh, content valuable, subscribe, follow, download, whatever it is you do to, to follow the podcast. Uh, it's published on YouTube. It's available on the podcast networks. Uh, it's published on our blog each week. So yeah, just stay connected and then reach out to Mike and I on LinkedIn is a great way to do it. We'd love to hear like your 
topics and concerns and questions. So maybe we'll start infusing in some, I think last week introduced rap or maybe next time it's going to be a community question. So yeah. if you got ideas or questions you want to hear, like maybe, we'll, you know, throw those our way. Maybe we'll start answering some, some listener questions uh, each week as well. Cause I know I got a million of them. So <laughs> hopefully you do too. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, Great job as always. Thanks again. And uh, hopefully you'll join us again. Everyone will join us again next week. Same time, same place. All right, Mike. Talk to you soon, man. All right. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.